0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I I like Easter a little bit more than Christmas for one key reason. Easter really, and the the whole Holy Week and the Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday, is really a a Jesus-centric week, where really the message becomes Jesus. Um, Christmas can get into a lot of... Santa Claus and the gifts and, and all the Christmas season, but I like Easter because, you know, the Easter bunny never did catch a lot of traction. No one's like, whoa, what's the Easter bunny going to do this year? Easter Bunny's just kind of, talk about a second rate deal. That's the bunny bringing a lot more sugar than I need. But Easter is really about Jesus, and that's what I like about it. Now, as we've been doing a series called "Think Different," I wanted to do a message this morning on thinking different about Jesus, because we can, and we're going to see that you can form a lot of different opinions about him and, and about who he is. But today, I'd like to think different about him in our life, because that's who this is all about. And if you think about it, how we form our our views of people uh, oftentimes is influenced. If you ever hear people say, "Well," and here's a big influencer, first impressions. I've heard people say, first impressions are never wrong. You ever heard that? First impressions are never wrong. That's not a scripture. And that can be really, really wrong. I mean, Joy's first impression of me was, eh. <laughs> she saw me, before I saw her, she saw me walk past her sister's apartment complex down where we were when she, I was living in Clear Lake City and she was visiting Right before we met, she saw me before I, we ever met. And her first impression of me was, nah. but like a moth to a flame, I drew her in. Babe. And, and, and my 22-year-old fineness just drew her. She could not, woman could not help herself. It was over. But her first impression of me was not so good. How about we form, we form our thoughts about people on what other people say about them? You ever had someone tell you something, maybe it was wrong or gossip and, and they told you something about somebody else and you met them and you're like, that's not right. And we often can form our thoughts about people about what other people say. A third grade teacher was trying to teach her, her class about moral of the story. So their, their homework assignment was, you got to come up with a story tomorrow with a moral in it. So one of the first girls got up. She said, she said last summer I worked on, on my grandparents' farm, and they told me that I could sell some eggs and, and make some money to buy. I, I wanted to buy you know, something for myself. And so we put, we put all the eggs in a crate, and put the crate in the back of the truck, but the truck swerved on the way to the farmer's market, and the eggs fell over and break. And the, the moral of the story is you don't put all your eggs in one basket the little guy stood up. He said, uh, he said my, my grandparents also have a farm. And in the summer, I, I went out to see them, and I wanted to buy a new iPhone. And my granddad told me that I could take some of, the, of the, uh, these eggs, and I could raise little chickens up. And, and when they became a little older, I could sell them. And so he said, I was so excited I was going to buy that iPhone, but, but all, the, all the eggs did not come up with baby chickens. And so he said, the moral of that story is you don't count your chickens... Well, they had, you guys were really good. (laughs) So little hunter stands up. He goes, my Aunt Sally works in special forces. She's on a trans, she's on a troop plane, got shot down over Iraq. When she was, she had to bail out real quick. It was an emergency. She had to bail out. All she had with her was her handgun and a bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey. So when she was parachuting down into enemy territory, she drank all the whiskey, landed right in the middle of a group of ISIS warriors and sergeants. She pulled out her handgun, shot 11 of them before she ran out of ammunition. Then she broke the Jack Daniels bottle on a rock and used it like a knife and killed seven more with her bare hands. Teacher said, that is a horrible story. I cannot <laughs> believe it. you told that Hunter. What in the world is the moral to that? Because that's easy. Don't mess with Aunt Sally when she's been drinking. <laughs> what? Now don't let that be the only thing you remember today when you walk out. <laughs> but what other people say about us and, and what we hear from other people can often form opinions in our mind. I, one of the best ways to know somebody is to get to know them and have an experience with them. In a couple of weeks, Joy and I will celebrate 37 years together. We know one another. If someone came, yeah, that's it. That's kind of become a milestone, isn't it? You know, 37, like, whoa, 37. But, and and some of them have been really good years, right, sweetheart? Right, okay. She, uh, if someone came to me and said, you know, I saw your wife, Joe, I saw her at Market Street. She was really rude to a clerk there. And she said some really mean things and cussed at her. I'd look at you and go, with all due respect, what have you been smoking? because I know my wife. One, she's never rude. Two, she's not mean. And three, she doesn't cuss, because I've given her plenty of opportunities to... to... But I know her, we we, we know each other, there's experience. And so today as we look at Jesus, I I wanna show you some different ways of of thinking about him and then how how we can begin to think accurately about him. And it's different, often different, from how you've thought about him in the past. On the day that we call Palm Sunday it was a day that's often referred to in your Bible as the triumphant entry. It's when Jesus fulfilled a hundred years old prophecy from, from the prophet Zechariah that your king would come to you lowly and riding on a colt. And he, re- he came into town. People were so excited. It was like an like a impromptu flash mob that just popped up. And they're waving branches from palm trees. They're putting their coats in the road. And they're saying, Hosanna. They're talking about King. The King has come. And then blessed be the name of the Lord. Just a really amazing thing. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about it. I want to read, I'm I'm going to give you a compilation of some of the thought processes that people were thinking about Jesus. But let's read Luke's example. There's a couple of them here. They, the disciples, brought it, that's the colt, to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus was coming in. The crowd was shouting. And really there's four different ways that people view Jesus. John tells us that some people, the whole city was, excuse, Matthew. He said the whole city was kind of an uproar and they said, who is this? Do you realize everyone thinks, oh, everybody knew Jesus. There were people in Jerusalem who did not know who Jesus was. And they could not understand why all this fuss, why is all this stuff going on? Who is this? And they said, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. They didn't know who he was. So there were people even in Jesus' day who lived there who were completely unaware of him and his ministry. Then there was a group of people that came because the scripture said they had seen the miracles which he'd done. And it's John who tells us that they heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. There's something in us that is drawn to the supernatural. There's something in us that wants wants to see something or wants to be a part of that. When I was 15 years old, a healing evangelist came to our town. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman. If you ever look her up, she had a pretty amazing ministry. She's very dramatic. I used to roll my eyes. My mother watched her all the time. I used to roll my eyes at her mom and go, oh, please. And they, they brought me to her, her, in her, in her meeting in my hometown. i would never seen so many sick people in all my life. The crowd was huge. Thousands of people came and people got off stretchers and people got out of wheelchairs. You say, did that really happen? Listen, There's not a day of miracles. There's a God of miracles. And Jesus did miracles. Then he does miracles now. Yeah, God still does amazing things. We have testimonies of people being healed from cancer, being healed from things that the doctors had given up on. God's still in the healing business and still in the miracle business. He does some amazing things. He he never went, whoop, that's it. No, we live in an amazing day. But these people came because they'd seen Jesus was doing miracles. And so he was kind of like this, almost starstruck, whoa, a miracle worker. Let's go see it. Some people came and they were shouting Hosanna and praising because they believed that Jesus was the hope of Israel. You see, the Israelites had been under the oppression of the Roman government for years. And Jesus to them was the king, but they were thinking earthly king, not heavenly king. But they were thinking, here he is, he's our hope, he's the prophet of God, he's God's king. And they were saying, Hosanna to the king, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they realized finally we have hope, somebody is gonna make our life better. And they were worshiping because of that. And some, well, some of them thought Jesus was a threat. They had a negative view of Jesus. The Pharisees cried out, they didn't cry out King, they said teacher. You need to rebuke your disciples. You need to tell your disciples to shut up because they were all worshiping and everything and made the Pharisees mad because Jesus challenged their way of life. Jesus challenged them. Jesus challenged the religious order of the day and they did not like it. It's hard for us to grasp the fact that there were some people who absolutely hated Jesus. One day, four different thoughts. And here's what's interesting. 2,000 years later, on this Palm Sunday, there are still about four key thoughts about Jesus. You got people now living in America who have no idea of who he is. Maybe they were raised in a home, I was so grateful, so grateful. And for you parents who brought children today, props to you. You don't realize what a difference you can make in their life. I appreciate the fact that my parents brought me to church. I heard about a Jesus who was good. I sang songs. I read stories. My parents, we had devotional time. It was an important time and and they, they, they helped me. I know who he is. But you know, there's a lot of people that have no idea who Jesus is today in America. There's some people who see Jesus today as almost this kind of mythical figure. Like he's this almost like mystical man. He had an aura. He had a halo. He went and did miracles. And you say, well, is there anything wrong with that? Well, yes. I want to get to that in a minute. The, The thing that's wrong about that is it puts Jesus way up here and you don't realize that God came to earth. He came to us. He came as one of us. And we miss the fact that Jesus wasn't just this floating on a cloud, mythical Jesus that it's hard to relate to. Yes, he did miracles, but there's a lot of us who believe that Jesus is our hope of a better life, a better life today and a better life tomorrow. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so there are many of us who recognize him, many of us who with our hands raised up on this Palm Sunday going, Lord, I thank you that you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are truly the Lord. You are our King and Savior. You are Jesus. And there's many of us who worship Him today. We don't lift palm trees. We lift our hands, going, He is Lord and He's awesome. And yet, there's still some today who see Jesus as a negative. Maybe they've heard the wrong things about Him. Maybe they think He 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 took a loved one from them or destroyed their life. But they see Him as a negative, and it's it's or maybe because He challenges their way of life. When they hear about, ever ever noticed that you can you can be out in a group of people and you can say God, no one flinches but you say Jesus and it can bring a hush to a crowd because he becomes the dividing line. And for many people, he, he's a threat. So here's our question. How do, how do, we, how do we think about Jesus? What, what's the ways we think about Jesus? Well, we can think about Jesus from um, our impressions that we get from other people. You know, maybe you were told about Jesus. If you were, that's wonderful. What other people have said but that can be good or bad. How, how about impressions that you get from people who are supposed to know him? See, many people, we, we don't see it here at the Ark as much, but many people have been hurt in church, they've been burned in church, and they talk about clergy members and pastors and, and people who hurt their lives, and they, they think that God's that way, that Jesus is that way. I, I sold books door to door one summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I I was a pretty friendly guy, kind of non-threatening. I only had one door slammed in my face. I was only cussed at one time. And that was by a man wearing a collar. Now, I don't know if he was a Catholic priest, Lutheran priest, Episcopal priest, or just an imposter. But he cussed at me and slammed the door. I'm so grateful that I didn't look at that man and go, well, if that's the way God is, if that's the way Jesus is, I want nothing to do with that. But that's too often what people do. And they see people who are supposed to be people of authority, people who know him, and they see him and they go, they treated me this way and that's wrong. Let me tell you something. I don't care whoever has done you wrong. If They were a pastor or a clergy member. That's not who Jesus is. I was riding with Matthew a number of years ago. He was a teenager. We were in the car. I had a a Yukon. We were riding together, going somewhere. And I I got into the left lane, which happens to be mine personally. And... uh, (laughs) And, and a lady pulls out into the lane and slows down. And then there's a, a car pulls. So they, they had me hemmed in. That always blesses you, doesn't it? Just when, when someone pulls in. And, and I'm, I'm going to share my horn with her. I, man, I had, my hand, I had my hand up and Matt, in all his teenage wisdom at the time, he said, it's probably a church member, dad. And I hate it when they're right. Nobody wants to look up in the rearview mirror and see their pastor just. So I backed off. Bless you. You know I'm I'm conscious of this. I'm conscious of the fact that as a pastor, I I represent this church. But you know what? As believers, we all represent the Lord. And there are people who maybe never would come in here, but they watch you and they watch your life. And the best thing you can do is show them an example of who he is, his kindness, his goodness to say, well, Alan, what happens when I miss it? What happens when I make a mistake? One of the best things you can ever do is look at someone and say, I apologize. I'm wrong. I'm a Christian. I'm trying my best to do, do the right thing. And I missed it. I'm human. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is not that way. He's good. And he's wonderful. Don't get your eyes on me. You can look past me to him. He's wonderful. And our impressions that we get of him can make a huge difference. Now, here's the last one, is our experience of him. So, well, I can't experience him, Alan. He's in heaven, and I'm here, but his word, his living word, reveals him. And we can see him from scriptures, and that's the best experience. And over the years, as you begin to read, you begin to to see who he really is. So we need scripture. Not just what someone said, not just an impression you had that may or not be good. We need scripture that says, this is who he is. So this morning, let, let me give you three things, three, three different ways to think of Jesus. And the first one is, is, is really a, a, a kind of a, a neat thought. As we think of Jesus and, and, and think of how he is, I, I, I think of a Jesus that we can admire a Jesus who has our back. But here's the first one is a Jesus that we can relate to. See, this is the reason my concern is for people who kind of see Jesus as this mythical figure that floats around. No, he, we can relate to him. He understands us. He understands me, understands you. Look at the scripture here in Hebrews. He said, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest was unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Did you catch that? Some people think Jesus just kind of floated through life and that he didn't really, he just kind of floated above everything, never got tired, never got in. The Bible said he was tempted in every way, just like we are. He was tempted to lash out in anger, tempted to be selfish, tempted to give in to worry and fear. He was tempted. He understands human weakness. He just didn't give in to it, but he understands it because he, and that gives him an ability to understand us. And I love that because he understands because he's been tempted with the same stuff we've been tempted with. Then he doesn't look on us with disgust. The Bible said he doesn't look with disgust at our weaknesses. He's able to empathize because he took on flesh just like we are. Now I realize some people say, well, Helen, he's the son of God. Yes, he was, but he still had to eat. He still got tired. He still took on a flesh body. He still dealt with stuff. And because he did, then he's able to understand us. We're able to understand him. He's actually a Jesus we could relate to. Patrick Stewart is the British actor who did X-Files and I I believe Star Trek. He's that bald-headed guy, real hawk face. He, uh, British actor, he grew up uh, having to protect and stand in between his alcoholic abusive father and his mother. Had to protect her, had to get involved. It, It really shaped a lot of his life. But in 2007, he had a lot of anger built up towards his father. 2007, he started digging into his father's past. His father was named Alfred. And Alfred Stewart, he found out, returned from World War II in 1940. He'd been, capt- he'd been trapped behind enemy lines in France, in, the Ger- in German-occupied France, and he was running for his life. He was, he was bombed. He was pinned down. And, and the-, the newspaper clipping said when he came back, he suffered from severe shell shock. Shell shock is a phrase we don't use anymore. What do you think we use today? PTSD. PTSD. Exactly. So he was suffering from PTSD. But yet he was able, four years later, he volunteered as a paratrooper and on D-Day, he parachuted into occupied France and helped liberate the country he'd had to flee from. He was a hero. And when Patrick Stewart said he began to look at his father's life and his experience, he began to talk to other people, began to say, my dad was depressed and had alcoholic tendencies and was abusive. He said, everyone I've ever talked to that understands PTSD said... Absolutely. Classic PTSD. And Patrick Stewart said this, when I begin to understand my father's life, it made me able to, he said, the anger began to dissolve away. Why? Because for the first time he understood. Listen, when you understand that Jesus doesn't stand back looking at you with this look of disgust on his face, that when you miss it, or when you're having, going through a difficult time, he's not looking at you with this, like you're, elementary school principal looking at you just shaking her head like this, just so disgusted with you. Look at this next verse It says here, so then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, if God was angry, if his face was mad, if Jesus is looking at you like he doesn't want to see you, there's no way you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But if you've got an open-armed Jesus who's saying, hey, listen, I understand, you come get the mercy, come get the grace, you come get what you need, that gives us confidence to come to him. He's a Jesus we can relate to. So when you're going through a difficult time, instead of running away from him, Run to him. He's someone we can relate to. He's someone we can admire. I've, I've, I've never heard someone say, "You know, I just admire Jesus." I've heard people say, "I love him. I, I serve him. I worship him." I've, I've never heard someone. I just admire Jesus. When I think of admire, I think of the Gallup poll. Remember the Gallup—they used most admired people in the world. Gallup. They started that poll in 1948, and at the end of the uh, the last century, they did a they did a compilation. Who are the most admired people? In the 20th century. Now this, this might catch you by surprise. The most admired people in the 20th century, if I want to venture a guess, who's number one? Don't say Oprah because it's not her. Gandhi's on the list. He's number 13. Who? Billy Graham. That's good. Number seven. My mom is not on that list, but that's (laughs) Number one, Mother Teresa. Number two, Martin Luther King. Number four, Helen Keller. Number seven, Billy Graham. Number 10, Winston Churchill. Number 14, Nelson Mandela. All of these people have something in common. All of these people served a purpose that was bigger than them. All of them served in a sacrificial way. Mother Teresa in the the slums of Calcutta, Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life trying to to create racial equality. You see, Helen Keller, who was an advocate for the disabled, all of these people, Billy Graham, stood for something bigger than himself, the greatest evangelist of our day. All of these people stood for something bigger. All of these are people who are admired. And this is one reason I admire Jesus. Right before he went to the cross, he said this. He said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Listen, if you think Jesus was forced to do this, you were wrong. Jesus was not forced to. In fact, he told him one time in Matthew, he said, do you think I can pray and my father will send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's over 60,000 angels. I mean, even you know 60,000 angels can get a lot of stuff done and protect you? He said, he can get, these angels can get me out of this situation. He did this voluntarily. He knew it was going to be difficult. He knew it was going to be trouble. He did it anyway. He said, I'm going to serve a bigger purpose. He said, it's tough. My soul is troubled. He prayed. He sweat blood in the garden. He said, God, will you, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass. He said, but not my will, your will be done. He sacrificed. He did it for us. He's someone that we can look at him and go, "Mm, I admire him. That's someone who took on a huge task and he did it for us. Didn't have to, and he could have been delivered from it. He made the choice to do it anyway. He's a Jesus I admire. And then he's a Jesus that someone I can trust with my life. Now, we say that sometimes, but you know what? I, I've met people, you ever met someone and you get around them, you think, I can't trust you as far as I can throw you. <laughs> ever met someone and they're like, oh, just trust me. And you're like, oh, no, no. Because you're thinking to myself, if push comes to shove, you're gonna take care of you and not me. Anybody ever met? Don't, just look straight. Don't be punching people, just look straight. In. But you, you look around. And, but aren't you grateful for the ones that you know, man, if I get into a jam, I know somebody's got my back. If I get into a situation, I won't have to look around and wonder if they're with me. I know they're with me. Jesus is someone I to show just a little thing that happened. The night he was arrested, they came at him with a mob with torches and swords and spears and soldiers. And Jesus had this conversation with his, with his group. He said, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth," They said, Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. In the most stressful time of his life when he knew what he was facing, and now they come at him with a mob. If you've ever been in a stressful situation, isn't it good sometimes just to have some people who are with you? That you look around, you're like, okay, I'm I'm not by myself. I've been in hospital rooms where just simply being there, someone just said, you don't have to say anything. Just thank you that you're there. Jesus is standing there and he's looking at, it would have been great to have his 12 disciples with him. They get all arrested together. They go down there together. He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I already told you, I'm. he let the rest of these go. In the middle of a stressful situation, he didn't expose them. He protected them. He had their back. And when you think about someone like that, he didn't have to do it. He could have just let whatever happen. But this was a Jesus who said, I'm, I'm, I got them covered, guys. Let them go. I got this. That's someone you can trust with your life. A man by the name of Joshua Mesrik is the University of Wisconsin. He's part of their transplant their, on their medical team, the, the medical school there. He said every time they do an organ transplant, he said, before they, before they do the, the surgery itself, he said, there's always a moment where they pause. And someone from the transplant team begins to read either a story or a poem or something about the life of the organ donor. Joshua said, these people are heroes to us. They didn't have to do that, but they did. And they, and they saved another life. He said, it's a very emotional time. He said, then, then we, of course we, we have to jump into the surgery. He said, but there's always a moment of silence when we remember what they've done. We have a man here in our church who last year just received a heart. He told me the other day, he said, Alan, there's four million people in in the Houston, Texas area. He said, 48 of us received hearts. He said, I'm the oldest one that received a heart. Well, I can tell you something. I know the man, I know he is so appreciative of the young man that gave him that heart. You appreciate that. You think "That, that was an awesome sacrifice. So on this Palm Sunday, It's not worth just taking a pause just for a moment and go, thank you that you didn't just give an organ, you gave your life for us. I had a friend who wrote a song. He was a guy that dealt with, but he really had his issues that he dealt with. He's in heaven now. And during troubled times, he he, he really struggled, but then he'd, he'd have moments where he would write songs. He wrote a beautiful song. And the the refrain went like this. I'm not going to sing it to you, but it went, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. He is the answer, the living word, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And oh, when I need you most, Jesus, you are my friend. Someone we can relate to. Someone we can admire. Someone we can trust with our He's got us protected, not exposed. And someone we can trust as a friend. I love the Easter season because it's when we get a chance to think different about Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to ask no one to leave or move. We'll be out of here in just a moment. If you came today and said, Alan, I don't know that I've ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, and I'd like to do that. Or I'm just not sure, but I want to be. And you can be. Or maybe you're here and you're like I was, raised in church, made a decision and and then walked away. And you're saying today, I I want to come back. I I want a relationship with someone like that. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. We're going to say a prayer and sitting right in your chair today. This can be your prayer. It's a prayer of connection. It's a powerful prayer. It will absolutely change your life and change your eternity. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If that's you that I'm talking to and you would like our prayers, I just need to get you to do one thing. Just shoot your hand up across this stadium. Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. All the way in the back, in the front. Thanks. Great. Anybody else? Thank you. I know it takes courage to do that. Anybody else? Wonderful. You put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you did not lift your hand and and thought you missed your opportunity, please understand that this is a, a heart prayer. It's good to lift your hand. But here's where you get an opportunity to lift your voice. And pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray it out loud. You pray it with us. I'm going to lead you in it so you can hear yourself pray. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. When I was saying that prayer, I caught a hitch there. And these words came up, I have a future with you. And that's so true. Father, we're so grateful for those who prayed that prayer. And for the rest of us here, Lord, we thank you that we can begin to see Jesus increasingly in a different light for who he is, for what he can do. We're grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.